Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Many are using the term epidemic to describe the current problem of drug and or alcohol abuse in the United States. Virtually everyone we know has been negatively impacted by this problem. Yet for so many that are experiencing the devastating effects of drug and or alcohol abuse, they don't know who to turn to for help. Who can we trust to care for our loved ones? Transformations Treatment Center is one of the most respected, ethical, and professional drug and alcohol treatment centers in the world with a strong focus on individualized care, offering a wide range of holistic, specialized, and medically supervised treatment programs. We know that many of you have questions. Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from Washington State, we have... Paul Smith on the phone. Paul is a retired law enforcement officer. He's got such a great background. I'll let him tell you more about that. Paul, thanks for joining us on Law Enforcement Show. Very much appreciated. Hey, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Before we get into it, you are a co-author of a book called The Night Police, Beyond the Line of Duty. Tell us about the book, what it's about, and where people can get more information. Sure. The Night Police is a is a compilation of short stories that myself and and my co-author put together based on our careers in law enforcement. Uh, We started to like a lot of book writers do, I think, and came to the idea that we had to write about what we knew about. And these were the stories that were near and dear to us and what we were comfortable getting down on paper. And that was the beginning of it. It's now, a full-length book, It's as I say, it's more of an anthology than a straight novel. And uh, readers can get it on Amazon uh, Kindle right now. And then after the Kindle option, it'll be open for paperback, uh, print-on-demand, and, and so forth. But Amazon currently is our outlet. You also have a website. I see it's called nightpolice.com where you can get more information about Chris Berg and Paul James Smith. And I will have Chris on the show in the future. Nightpolice.com. Be sure to check it out. There's something about policing at night that as soon as I saw the title, I had a little mind shift, to be honest with you. I like day work. It was a nice break, but I love being a police at night. That's where all the action took place. Absolutely. And uh, that, the title was a bit of an inside joke between Chris and myself and, and some other what we kind of thought of as the, the more hardcore cops, but there's a big difference between the, the guys that drive around in the daytime and, and wave at all the citizens and, and the guys that go out at night. It's just a whole different ball game. It is. It, we used to call a lot of the, and I, I don't want to say it's an insulting way. We used to call, there's a thing in Baltimore they had, they called officer friendly. 
And the guys who loved day work, who loved not getting in the action, who were always the last to show up at a hot call, they were the officer friendlies. They were always in a good mood. Their uniforms were always clean. They're always happy, smiley. And then you had guys like me who were like, I want to find hardcore criminals, guys with guns that shoot at people and do robberies, and I'm bored if I don't. As a matter of fact, there's a line in the in the book about Officer Finley with his hand raised in a prom queen salute to the daytime world. <laughs> the sarcasm on that phrase is so obvious. You got to read the book. I think I got to read it. It's called The Night Police Beyond the Line of Duty, and their website is nightpolice.com. Before we get lost, uh, Paul, let's talk about your career from start to finish. Uh, bird's eye view. I started out as a, as a lot of cops do. I was a, I was a young man and enlisted Marine. Uh, got out of the Marines in 1977 and got my first uh, police job uh, in California. Uh, I worked there for 10 years. I was a patrolman, detective, SWAT team, kind of your typical trajectory. And uh, then in 1987, I, I went to work for alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. I did about 21 years there. And sort of in parallel with that, I, I had a career in the, in the military reserves, and, and I retired uh, from the Coast Guard Reserve in 2014 as a Coast Guard captain. So you've done it all, seen it all. And by the way, thank you for your service, both in the military, both the Coast Guard and Marine Corps, and, and your time in law enforcement, local policing and federal. I do know a little bit about federal policing. I, I was detailed to DEA uh, as a deputized U.S. Marshal. That's how they do that for a period of mm-hmm. about almost two years in Baltimore, the Wa- Baltimore, Washington Task Force. And they're different people. They do a different job. A lot of people I worked with were city or county police or state police that were deputized into that. The ATF is a branch of the federal government that a lot of people don't have a strong conception about what they do. Tell us about their mission. It's really it's a multifold mission. Everyone knows them as, the, as a gun enforcement agency, um, but their origin is really it was uh, came out of the IRS and, and a tax unit because the federal government taxes firearms, tobacco production, and alcohol production. Some people associate us back to the revenuers and the moonshine wars, which I guess that would be the early origin. But day-to-day, the areas where ATF really becomes involved is firearms in, in the hands of hardcore criminals, whether it's drug criminals or outlaw biker gangs. And, and, and I think the agency made a pretty good name for itself in that arena. They did, and they, they're very prominent uh, in cities like Baltimore, where I worked. And again, I don't want to say this in a derogatory manner, so people, please do not take it that way. And you often had some animosity between city police and the county police and the state. And we, we jokingly called each other names, but we had some respect for each other. And then in federal law enforcement, the FBI, they were known as the suits. The DEA, a little bit more street policing. And there was a little more respect there. The ATF, they had more of street cop credentials to them and at least how we viewed them in Baltimore. And they were well-respected. Yeah, at the time I was hired by ATF, they they were not taking too many candidates who did not have prior law enforcement time. So I think that might be where a little bit of that came from. 
And they also were notorious for having uh, huge parties in Baltimore. Uh, the Elliott Ness Nights were uh, epic affairs. I don't think they do them anymore. <laughs> probably, probably not. I think uh, you've been to a few of those, from it sounds like it. I, I can neither confirm nor deny, as they say. <laughs> well, the reason I bring that up is if you watch the Untouchables, the movies with uh, Sean Connery and I forget the other actors, but Elliot Ness, the the story is, and I don't know how much this is true, Paul. Uh, they once they captured Al Capone on the tax charges, they became known as what we now call the ATF, the Alcohol, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Uh, we are talking with Paul Smith. Paul is retired federal agent, also retired military, and he's also co-author of a book called The Night Police, Beyond the Line of Duty. Before we go to break, this is a anthology, so it's a bunch of short stories. Are they based off facts turned into fiction? They certainly are. They, they're all incidents that happened either to Chris or myself, and uh, we we managed to weave those into a, a story that it, it actually, towards the end of the book, you start to see a, a theme in it. But uh, yeah, it was all stuff that happened to us. We're going to take a short break. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, Click, like, and follow. That's click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. This is Law Enforcement Today show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Back to a conversation with Paul Smith. Paul is retired federal agent from Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, also retired United States military, and also was a street police. And I say that with the utmost respect. Uh, he was a law enforcement officer and a local law enforcement agency in California. The alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, ATF is what we call them, quite often not well understood. They're starting to get a little bit more publicity uh, in a good way, and I think it's well-deserved. But a lot of people in America, I don't think really have a, a good concept in their minds of what ATF does. Give us a, a brief synopsis of your career in ATF, what you did. 
my career was along the lines of firearms violations and, and enforcing those. Uh, we had other agents that were very good in the realm of explosive and arson investigations, but my career was solely in, in firearms investigations. And, and like you, I had also been assigned to a DEA task force for a couple of years, helping them with the firearms uh, located in meth labs. Did a lot of outlaw biker cases. And somewhere along the way, I think it was in the early 90s, as ATF saw the need to have a, a better, more robust SWAT team, for, to put it in terms most people would understand, I became involved in that program early on and, and, and spent a number of years involved in, in high-risk endeavors. Part of your edit your bio, which you can read Paul's bio at uh, nightpolice.com is the website. That's nightpolice.com. And it said you were at Waco and you were also at Ruby Ridge. And for the purposes of time, I want to talk about Waco. I remember watching that. This whole thing took days and days and days with the Branch Davidians. And don't even get me started in a whole conversation with these cults and cult leaders. I don't know how they get people to do what they do. I watch these with my wife and go, what are these people smoking? They're going to do that. I, I, I couldn't see myself doing that. But when, and I, I'm shortening this, when the raid finally happened where the ATF and other agents wound up trying to breach facility, I remember clearly watching the video of an ATF agent, I believe it was, on the roof and being shot through a window. And I was horrified. I'm still horrified talking about it. As a retired police, certain things like that I watch, I can't, I don't do well watching because I get too emotionally wrapped up in them. You were on scene. Uh, what was your role there? Um, I was part of what we termed uh, forward observer teams, which is a, a nice way of saying sniper teams. I was a, a support element. I was across the road from the main compound with uh, one other team. And we were in what was referred to uh, in most documentation as the undercover house because we'd had some undercover agents trying to penetrate the uh, Branch Davidian group uh, for a couple months prior to the uh, search warrant. That was where I was located, about 200 and some odd yards away from the main compound and uh, directly across from the front of it. So good good view when the when they search warrant elements when the raid elements pulled up in front of the place I, I, I was kind of like watching on tv myself and it's one of those things where it's very easy all these years later people still still love to pick and analyze what was done wrong and it's usually done in a negative way especially towards the law enforcement people that seems to be the trend with the media and hollywood partly because they can't really speak to the mindset and motives of like uh, David Koresh and those, those type people, uh, Jim Jones, these these cult leaders that get people to do crazy, crazy things, I still don't understand them, and I would venture guess that you don't either. Well, and and I take it I would take it one further, and that is, I would be willing to bet to this day, law enforcement, local or federal, doesn't really have a good answer for how to deal with these types of groups. I think you're right. Uh, part of it is because it, it 
it goes so far beyond the, the realm that for me, I remember being a rookie police and I was really upset about something and I don't, I don't recall what it was, Paul. And an old timer said to me, if you, if you try to make sense of things that are totally nonsensical, that involve a lot of violence and what people do to each other, you'll drive yourself insane. So when you have groups like the Branch Davidians and these type people, how do you develop a game plan and a thought process that defies all logic? I don't understand where you begin. Uh, yeah, and to maybe oversimplify the, the problem, these religious cults, they're, they're not like the normal crooks that we encounter in law enforcement. Normal crooks are greed-motivated. Religious cults, and, and I guess what we've dealt with in the last 18 years or so with, with terrorists, they are not greed motivated, and they, in a normal law enforcement action, I'm sure you know from your own career, if you come in with overwhelming numbers of, of cops and firepower available, most crooks decide to, to live and fight another day. Not necessarily the game plan if the, if the people you're going up against have some kind of apocalyptic vision for, you know, getting to the next level and you're and you're just a pawn in that. So they view you as a tool to get to where they want to go. Yeah, it, it becomes, uh, well, I, I believe particularly in the case of, of Vernon Howell or, or David Koresh, he called himself, in his case, I, he had preached to his followers that this, this day was coming. So... It was really, you know, we were necessary to his prophecy. And that's a really a no-win situation. Going back to the, the critics, the Monday morning quarterbacks, I always say this, it's very easy and it's very safe to criticize and critique something from the comfort of your lazy boy chair, uh, especially when it's a decade or two later. These guys, quite often in the media, they love to portray them as religious zealots and not in a bad way the truth is they had far more uh devious plans that that were based off religion is i'm not sure how to even describe it how would you describe it well uh, first of all most religions we're familiar with aren't armed to the teeth uh, with with automatic weapons and and explosives which the davidians were and one of the things that came out in the course of the investigation was uh, it, it was not a matter of if we would have just left them alone, there would have never been any harm. Again, part of his prophecy was there had to be this this fight with the, with the, the forces of Babylon, I think he called it. If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, Never fear. You can listen to them online as a podcast. Just go to our website, letradioshow.com. We are talking with Paul Smith. We were going to turn to this conversation. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. I promise you, we'll be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. 
We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today podcast network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation with Paul Smith, the retired ATF agent, and we're talking about, he's also author, co-author of the book, Night Police, Beyond the Line of Duty. Get more details online at nightpolice.com or do a search on Amazon for Night Police. David, we're talking about the raid at Waco, Texas, or the Branch Davidians, and before we went to break, you're talking about how if people think that if you had left them alone, it never would have happened, but they needed to have some sort of confrontation with federal law enforcement or local law enforcement, and they were going to find a way to engage you one way or the other. Yes, in the in all the aftermath and inter, interviews and things that took place after the the famous shootout and then the the end of the siege there, there was some indications that that Vernon Howell was wanted to take essentially some of his people into some facility, some place in Waco, and essentially start a shootout there to precipitate this thing. So I don't think, based on the, the rate that, that he was acquiring arms and ammunition and his preaching to his, his congregation, I, I don't think it would have really changed whether there would have been a violent outcome at some point or not. We served the search warrant, and that, and that that obviously triggered it. And it was a very violent ending to this. Uh, I believe it was April 19th of 1993. I'm actually looking online, and I'm going to go to one of the trusted sources, uh, Wikipedia. I wish they had mm. Wikipedia when I was in <laughs> high school, which they, they did not. In, in this ending... Of this horrible thing, you had 76 Branch Davidians, including 20 children, two pregnant women, uh, and David Koresh, I believe, that were killed or died. When I say killed, I don't want people to assume that the federal agents did that. From my limited knowledge, when the raid started, and we had many ATF that were severely injured, and do we have some killed as well? Uh, four agents were killed that day. It was a yeah. bad, bad day. That's that I can't even begin to comprehend it. There were massive fires, and I understand that the fires were set primarily by, uh, I call him David Koresh, because that's what he wanted to be known as, and uh, he had, a, I forget what his real name was, you've used it several times. Uh, he and his crew of people set fire inside and, and pretty much booby-trapped the entire compound. I, I think it, it, it's been pretty well established at this point that throughout the negotiation process with the, with the FBI, they managed to get some listening devices inside the building. I I believe they were getting it in there with, with some coolers that they were sending milk in for the kids or or something along that line. I did a little reading this morning myself. But uh, they, they had some some overhear capability of what was going on inside the compound on, on the morning where when they started putting the tear gas in into the uh, into the building and uh, somebody over here was talking about getting flammable liquids, uh, get, getting it poured, and, and so forth. And then 
again, just based on reading this morning, but looked like there was about 20 of the Davidian group that uh, were shot and killed, either self-inflicted or someone else did it for them. Uh, and then, then the the bulk of the people that perished that day, uh, uh, it was smoke or, or fire that killed them. I think about nine of them actually escaped the building while it was on fire. I've seen some interviews since then, some television shows, uh, people that survived that. And while most of the people who survived the whole cult left before or managed to escape during the raid have somehow, for lack of better words, gotten their sanity back and have a more rational line of thought when it comes to still a few that support and defend this guy, that he was some sort of uh, savior or religious leader prophet for whatever words people want to use that was misunderstood. And again, back to our earlier conversation, how do you, how do you deal rashly with people who think like that? I don't think there is any any way that that you can, and and that becomes the the, the law enforcement uh, problem. And in part of the investigation um, prior to this, John was they they knew that there were all kinds of different violations going on inside the compound, and and either from cult members who had gotten away and had talked to people, or family members of people who are currently part of the cult, and they were asking their congressmen and, and local and federal law enforcement to please look into it. And and nobody had a good answer. Nobody, uh, in fact, one of the things that I, I read about it said that they, they just figured, well, we'll wait till someone gets gets killed in, in there, and then we'll, we'll do something about it. But again, I'm, I really don't know that anyone had a game plan for that. It seemed as if it was, you hurry up and wait which you and I are both quite used to, you you even more so with military combined with law enforcement, and quite a few of these standoffs, what we would try to do is wipe them out, and you wind up cutting off their electricity, cut off the water, make them uncomfortable, take away their, their comforts, and eventually with the overwhelming force you talked about, rationally minded people would say, all right, I give up, I'm, I'm done. We've had a few incidents where it's not been that. This is a great example of one. There's certain times where you can't come up with a rational game plan. And I can see being a cop. I can see being an ATF guy and someone saying, hey, my daughter's in there. And if I had one of my daughters in there, I was scared to death. I'd tell you, and I'd beg you, please go get them. So it's not like you could just say, I'm going to ignore this. Right. And, and I think one of the things that gets um, overlooked a lot right at the beginning of any conversation about Waco is the agents that investigated David Koresh and the, and the Davidians took all the material and put it in front of a federal judge who reviewed it and, and signed off on the search warrant to, to go there and, and search for, for the evidence as well as, a, as an arrest warrant for uh, David Koresh. Again, it's we as you know citizens of this country, uh, the police might rightly or wrongly search our, our home, but if it's done pursuant to a warrant, it's not an option for us to, to shoot the police because we think we're right. Right. Yeah, I, I, I get this. And I, I'm the biggest offender of law enforcement. And like I said, I, I watch the videos and, and I can't watch them because so many of the people that I consider family 
that are that were law enforcement officers. I didn't know them, but they lost their lives. And part of me wants to say this should be done different, that should be done different, and it's easy. It's very easy for me to make those calls from here when I'm not on scene. It's a totally different scenario to make them when you're on scene. And for guys like you that were there, I don't know how you find a way to get to, not a happy place, because there's no such thing after a while, but to a new normal or your center after going through that. It it took me a long time. And um, I actually, and interesting, I politically, I'm more right than left, but uh, the a lot of the the right side of the aisle really made a quite the political football out of this early on and and uh I contacted a lot of show hosts and whatnot because i I was so at the time just really outraged about the mischaracterization of it and admittedly there were there were mistakes there were huge mistakes by a t f and and a lot of other folks but we we knew at the beginning of that. Uh, search warrant execution that we'd been compromised. We have to take a short break on that point. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to take a short break and return our conversation with Paul Smith. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. So many people ask me, how did I transition from police work to a career in radio? Plus, host of the syndicated Law Enforcement Today radio talk show and podcast. The answer is simple. I attended the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, where I learned by doing. At the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, students learn in months, not years. For veterans, some or all your tuition could be covered by your VA benefits. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, training in audio, video production, television, sports, podcasting, radio, and web development. Get more information, call 800-887-2346 or online at gocsb.com. For special offers and consideration, tell them you heard about them from Law Enforcement Today. Back to our conversation with Paul Smith on the Law Enforcement Today show. Paul's a retired ATF agent, and we're talking about Waco, Texas, and the Branch Davidian compound and uh, early on, you said that for another break that you guys have been compromised and you've been compromised. It's easy to to second guess and, and to criticize. Mistakes were made, obviously. How how were you compromised? Well, there was uh, in a short story. We had put an ambulance company on standby, which was a, a prudent thing to do because it was going to be a very dangerous um, search warrant execution. And unfortunately, there was a person in that ambulance company who was uh, romantically involved with a, a television news guy. And uh, so when the ambulance company got put on standby, uh, the young lady notified her boyfriend who was with the TV station. And he started driving up and down the road in, in front of the Divinian compound ultimately ran into a Davidian who was also a rural 
uh, mail carrier, and uh, they had an exchange, and, and they told the Davidian that, hey, you might want to leave the area because there's going to be a huge uh, law enforcement thing take place here momentarily. And uh, this rural mail, mail carrier turned out to be a Davidian. He went straight back to the compound and, and told uh, David Koresh, I ran into a TV guy, and he says the the, uh, the cops are, are coming, and it's going to be big. Coincidentally, at that particular moment, our undercover agent was in meeting with Koresh, which, talk about a guy with tremendous courage. The newspaper had just released an article about the Davidian compound, and we were taking the temperature of what was, what was going on inside there uh, after the, that newspaper story. And uh, Koresh ended up telling our undercover, I, I think you need to leave now. We were very lucky to get that young man out of there alive, I believe. He had figured out who he was and what he was doing. I believe so. But I also get the feeling, Paul, that, that he was using the undercover and everything to, to accomplish his goal, his, his apocalyptic vision. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how how he, his interaction with the undercover was going uh, or when when in fact he had an inkling that that our guy was in fact an undercover agent i don't know if it happened on the day of the raid or or if koresh had figured that out beforehand and but uh e- either way um once once koresh knew the law enforcement group was coming he had sufficient time to get all of his people armed up and that was and that was really what led into a bloodbath that day. And he had a plan. He had this, this planned out, and uh, the other people, his trusted confidants who were part of this plan, they knew what to do. The, this was not by accident on their part. It wasn't all reactionary is the feeling I get. Correct. We, we did know enough about the activities at the, at the compound to know that uh, they had an arms room which was close to Koresh's living quarters, and that's where the guns were kept. Uh, people didn't routinely go about the compound armed, and that was actually part of the strategy for the for executing the search warrant was get to that place first and seal that off. And that that piece of video, that famous piece of video that you related to in the very beginning of the interview, where the young man is is getting shot at from inside a, a window, that was the that was the arms room area that they were trying to to get into. Well, it makes perfect sense that they want to secure that first. It, jokingly, I tell people when I went from patrol work to narcotics, and it, our training consisted of maybe five minutes of telling you how you do a raid. And it was, we go in, we try to secure where we think the drugs and weapons are. Everyone makes a lot of noise. You, you have an overwhelming show of force. And that was about it. Uh, we didn't have a whole lot of other training. You guys obviously had far more. So when I watched that news video, uh, the scene of the agent on the roof, I didn't know that was the area they wanted to secure first. But seeing the, the agent there and having no cover and being fired upon, I actually screamed at the TV and I would be I'd be certain I'd probably do it again now knowing what happens full full well what's going to, the end's going to be it's still difficult to watch and I don't want to say this in a critical way but 
every time I did something police work, you, you couldn't help but analyze. What could I have done different? What could this have happened? Could this, I've done this. And maybe that's part of the whole Superman complex or guilt or whatever you want to call it. But that's how you learn our lessons is through tragedy. So I'm sure you guys have learned a ton from that incident, but still it is horrifying to look back. And, and it's all on video. A great deal of it is. A great deal of it is. And which, you know, two-edged sword, I mean, we can we can thank in some in some ways the, the news, TV news guy that was there with the camera when it when it started up because he came down the driveway right behind the assault element. Do you watch this video at all or have you put that to bed a long time ago? I put it to bed a long time ago. I, I somewhere out in my garage, I've got a, a Tupperware box. It's full of old VHS cassettes, just raw news feed from, from the whole thing. And, and, uh, Honestly, I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. But uh, yeah, it was it was certainly to, to anyone that was there. It was it was just uh, it was one of those one of those events in your life you'll never forget. Well, they use the term trauma and critical incidents is the term they use nowadays. Back then, I mean, I did we we didn't use those terminology in the '80s and early '90s. I couldn't see wanting to re-explore any of that. As a matter of fact, I think. Uh, if I were you, I would be trying my best to find ways to bury that deep down where it never comes back up again. I uh, it, interesting, just talking about it right now, uh, and 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 doing a little homework in preparation for interviewing with you. It it brought about some emotions uh, I I didn't expect. I didn't see it coming, to be honest. I get that way. I understand it. I don't understand the situation because I wasn't there. I've been through similar, but when I say similar, they, they, it's like comparing an anthill to one of those great big termite mounds you see in Africa. It, it's similar, but totally different. So I don't suppose I know what it's like. I do know what it's like to be under fire. I do know what it's like to second guess and to criticize and to constantly try to get better at what you do. And then there are days, quite honestly, Paul, where I go, I don't know how I survived. I don't know how I made it through this, and I just want to enjoy my life. Exactly, exactly. And it takes a toll, and I think we're just, a lot of us old-timers that are that did manage to live through it all and, and not over-self-medicate ourselves, uh, I, I think that uh, you look back on it and you do marvel. It's like, man, how, how did I get through that? Not just physically, but mentally. Absolutely. So it's like I tell people, I insist on having a good life, a peaceful life, and uh, and not have to deal with the memories of, of all that other stuff that we you can't unsee. Before we run out of time, uh, tell people again about your book. Where can people order it and get more information about it? Well, right now it's it's available on, on Amazon. And as we talked about a little bit earlier, it's it's a compilation of short stories, uh, things that happened to myself and my writing partner when we were very young policemen together, and then some of it gets into uh, some of my methamphetamine uh, lab days with when I was with the feds. But it's uh, it's all based on true stories that happened to us. We, we fictionalized it because there's a lot of folks still around and alive that we don't want to embarrass or or, or 
hurt anyone's feelings, but uh, the, the stories are absolutely based on things that happened. And the name of the book is The Night Police Beyond the Line of Duty, written by Chris Berg and Paul James Smith. Paul, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show, talking about a very difficult subject, and we're going to have to do this again in the future. Thanks so much. You bet. Thank you. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. I've got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.